Thank you for listening to Breakthrough Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. Brought to you by Daryl Reed. For more podcasts, news, and other events, please visit breakthroughlife.co.za. As obviously John is away, I get to share with us this morning. And I don't know how many of you guys were here three weeks back when I shared... How many of you were here three weeks ago when I shared? So just to give a little bit of a recap, I was talking about information and how the, just the amount of information in the globe is exploding. Uh, just the, 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 the multiplication of information available is astronomical. And, and so with all of this information around, how does this influence our, our walk with the Lord? And, and I think the temptation often is you, you're faced with a problem, with a challenge, and you need a solution, and so what do you do? You, you go to your favorite search engine and you punch in a question, and hopefully it spews out the answer that you need to your solution. And, and so because of all the information freely available, we so often tend to just go to our mobile device. And, and I was encouraging us to say, let's not go to our devices all the time, but let's go to Him. Let's look up. Let's seek Him because this is a season where we need not just information, but we need revelation. We don't want to just get facts, but we need the living breath of God for the, the problems, the, the challenges that we're facing as families, as individuals, as businesses, as a city, and as a nation. I mean, when we look at all the problems that we're facing, I mean, our mayor just got voted out with a vote of no confidence. Uh, ESCOM's got, uh, you know, this ongoing load shedding. Uh, there's all this stuff that we can easily get so gloomy about. Um, where are we looking to for our solutions? And I was encouraging us, let's, let's look to him. Let's lift, lift up our heads and let's seek revelation from Jesus. And so on the back of that, I want to continue this morning. And, and I was speaking about information then. I don't know how many of you guys have been tracking or following uh, the, the realm of artificial intelligence recently. But if any of you have been following what's been happening in our world in the realm of artificial intelligence, there is some very exciting, uh, yet some extremely scary technology that has just been launched in our world in in the last two or three months. It really is astronomical uh, what artificial intelligence is doing. I mean, artificial intelligence has been with us for a while, but we just haven't been aware of it. But the leaps and bounds it's taking now are seriously scary. I mean, I, I think, I'm not prophesying, I'm saying I think that this could be uh, disruptive technology in the form of when the internet was created. But this, this disruption will be even faster because when the internet was created, I mean, there weren't computers in every home. You didn't have access freely to everything, you know, all the information in the world on a device that you kept in your pocket. The infrastructure wasn't there. Now we've got this infrastructure of the internet and now we're putting artificial intelligence on top of that already existing infrastructure, we are going to see some crazy disruptive uh, technology taking place in this realm of artificial intelligence. One of these, these chatbots, you know what a chatbot is? If, you, for example, you're dealing with your insurance or your medical aid or whoever it is, and they say, WhatsApp us, and so you send a WhatsApp you're not dealing with a person, you're, you're dealing with a, a chatbot, you're dealing with uh, artificial intelligence. When, when AI was initially incorporated into society where we would engage with it unknowingly, uh, for example, dealing with a chatbot, initially 30% um, of the answers 
would be somewhat customizable and 70% would be standard responses. So the, the AI would read your question, it would try and you know, decipher what you're asking, and, and then it would spew out a standard response, and that's, that's what the chatbot would do. That was when it first launched and, and came into being. It was not that long ago. The technology has advanced so quickly that at the moment for a lot of the chatbots, it's now 70% is customized responses according to what you're asking, and 30% is stock standard responses. That means that the AI, the artificial intelligence, is, is understanding the question and is giving you a customized answer according to what you're asking. I say all of this just to say there's scary things happening in our world. This one chatbot, this, this, is, this is crazy. One, one artificial intelligence chatbot just recently passed the U.S. medical licensing exam. <laughs> Legit. It wasn't programmed to answer the questions. It's AI. It's artificial intelligence. They spewed in all the questions to, to pass the U.S. medical licensing exam, and the AI passed. And it does it in about three seconds. That's scary. We're in for some crazy disruptions in our world. Some of the AI, you're able to ask it a question and say, write me a blog on X topic. And within three seconds, it will write you a blog. You can then say, say to it, thank you, please write that same blog um, as if you were explain it, explaining it to a three-year-old. And it will, in three seconds, change it and write it as if it was writing to a child. Um, there, there's, there's AI that's even able to create content videos where you can you know, type in, you know, create a promo video on X topic this long and uh, with this mood, and, and it's doing it pretty well. And so how do we handle this as Christians? How do, how do we face this? I think it was in Canada. I'm not, not exactly sure. I can't remember. But I was listening to a podcast where they've got these robots. I think they call them Stardust. And they're, they're machines, robots, doing deliveries. And so now there's this ethical debate because these robots are using the same paths, pedestrian paths as people, should the robots be given the same rights as a person? We're in for some interesting and challenging ethical debates and ethical situations in the now. There is innovation and, and AI that is so advanced. It's like, I mean, 20 years ago, we watched movies about this stuff and we're like, oh, wow, that's crazy. It's like, no, that's not crazy anymore. It's, it's here. It's on our doorstep. Uh, we're seeing it happen all the time. I mean, you, you talk to your phone and it talks back to you. Hey, Siri. Hey, Google. I was once preaching at a different church, and Siri responded. I figured if Siri's listening, it must be good. <laughs> it wasn't my Siri. It was someone in the congregation, Siri. But that's artificial intelligence. The, the, the advancement is astronomical. And, and if you haven't heard about it, I assure you, you probably will come across it soon. And so how many jobs are going to be taken? You know, just think about it, your job in whatever field it might be, and now artificial intelligence can do the very job that you used to do. It costs the employer nothing or next to nothing. It does it in a matter of seconds, and the employer doesn't have the HR problems that come with a person. 
we're in for interesting times. The world is in a very interesting space. And so on that backdrop, how do we, how do we face this? How do we navigate this? How do we move forward in the world? We're going to have some challenges, but we've also got some exciting opportunity. What is the solution? The solution dwells within us. Solution is the Holy Spirit. Because no chatbot, no AI, no computer, as clever as it might be, cannot get the revelation and the wisdom of God. And so maybe in the coming months or years, you might be in a position where your job is at stake because it's going to be replaced by by AI. But know that the Holy Spirit is in you and He wants to give you wisdom and revelation that that AI cannot do. And so this, th- these are days where we need to be so dependent upon Holy Spirit. If you've got your Bible, open up to the book of Romans chapter 8. And while you're looking there, I'm going to read us uh, two, three verses from the book of Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel 36 verse 25 to 27. And if you guys open up to Romans chapter 8, we're going to start in verse 5 when we get to Romans. Ezekiel says, I I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. This is, this is the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, and it's speaking of a prophetic day that was going to come, a day when God would not be distant, you know, a day when God would not walk like he did in the Garden of Eden next to Adam and Eve, and then there was this separation for, for many, many hundreds of years between God and man. And now this prophetic word coming, a day is coming, says the Lord, well, I will put my spirit in you. Isn't that crazy? Those are the days we're living in. Jesus doesn't walk beside us. He lives within us. There's a whole other level of intimacy with him that we have access to. It's beautiful. All right, let's go to Romans chapter 8. We're going to read a couple of verses and then we'll pause. I'll throw in a couple other scriptures. But we're going to, this, you guys should stay in Romans chapter 8 and, and follow with me uh, from verse 5. It says, Those who live according to the flesh have their mindset on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mindset on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Now, as Paul's writing here and he's talking about those, uh, those would be people that don't yet know Jesus. They haven't been born again. They haven't got a relationship with God. And so because they're born into a, a realm of sin, they are living in that realm of the flesh. And so all that they can do is follow that earthly you know, process of, of being led by the flesh, that earthly desire. They, they know no other because it's all that they've ever known. Paul's writing about them. That's the, the, the road of 
um, following the flesh, <clears throat> excuse me, is a road of destruction and of death. He, he carries on and he then says, but when we allow ourselves to be led by the Spirit, it leads us to life and peace. Oh, and isn't that beautiful? Uh, I've heard so many stories. I've met one or two people that are uh, incredibly wealthy. They've got all the money that anyone could want and more than what they perhaps know what to do with. Yet, yet inside there's no joy. There's no life and there's no peace. Because I think we all know that there is, there's no way to find fullness of life and true inner peace outside of the presence of God. He's the only way to get that peace. As we live by the Spirit, as we live being led by the Spirit of God, it leads us down a path not of death and destruction, but a path of life and peace. Come on, it's not just a, a peace that's <clears throat> some, <clears throat> excuse me, some external you know, concept. It's, it is His peace that He gives to us. Jesus says, my peace I give to you. Oh, man. Anyone want the peace of Jesus? <laughs> He's giving it, given and giving it to us as we, as we follow and as we're led by the Holy Spirit, as we walk down that path of righteousness. He gives us life. He gives us peace. We carry on in verse 9. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. Beautiful. Paul's transitioning here. He was speaking about those, those that don't yet know Jesus. Now he's saying you. He's now speaking to us as believers. You know, for us as believers, as we follow him, we follow the Spirit and not the flesh. He gives us everything that we need to follow Him and to not give in to the old desires of the flesh. It's what His grace is about. His grace empowers us to follow Him, to choose Him, to be led by Him. You see, we live from a different realm. When we, when, when we follow the presence of Holy Spirit that lives within us. We're no longer moving from an earthly, fleshly realm, but we're operating from a different realm. We're operating from a heavenly realm. Scripture says we're seated with Him in heavenly places. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, but yet He's also inside us in the Holy Spirit. You see, when we're led by the Holy Spirit, we operate from a different realm. That's how we bring your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. It's by operating, being led by the presence of Holy Spirit that lives right over here. There's be people that operate not from a, an earthly realm, but from the realm of the supernatural. You see, artificial intelligence is operating in the realm of the flesh. It doesn't have access to the third heaven. It doesn't have access to the presence of God. It's only you and I, believers, born again, filled with the presence of God, that have access to his realm. 
You see, the, the solutions that our city needs, the solution that your business needs, the solution that your family needs, the solution that your child needs that's going through a difficult time or your rebellious teenager or your, your parent or your friend, whoever it is that doesn't yet walk with Jesus, the solution that they need is not going to be found in this earthly realm, but it's going to be found in a supernatural realm, the realm of His presence. You see, when we are led by the Spirit, we access that realm and we're able to bring it down and let it influence the world that we live in. We need to be people that are supernatural, operating from a different realm. That is how we will rise above, even when artificial intelligence is smarter in terms of factual knowledge than all of us in the room put together, and it can do it in a second. We need supernatural intervention and wisdom. See, the Spirit gives us life because of righteousness. Spirit gives us life because of righteousness. Now, I think we all know how do we get our righteousness. It's not by our own works, by our own doing. You know, when we look at at religion across the world, every religion has to do with works and deeds and faithful actions and self-discipline. And as you do all the right things, you then hope that one day you will, you know, make the grade and be qualified as whatever it is that you're, you're pursuing, except for Christianity, except for Jesus. You know, it's not by our works, it's not by our own actions that we justify ourselves or make ourselves righteous. No, it is by the blood of Jesus, by his death, his burial, his resurrection and his ascension. It's because of what he did that now that he dwells within us, Father God looks at us and says, you are righteous, my son, you are righteous, my daughter, not because of our own doing, but because of his doing. You see, it's because of what he did. It's because of righteousness that we have life. You see, what Jesus did on the cross released life to us. It wasn't a once-off encounter the day you gave your life to Jesus. It's an ongoing, continuous life infusion from the presence of the Holy Spirit. You see, as we choose to follow him, as we choose to let him guide us and lead us, as we choose to walk and operate in the realm of the spirit, not the realm of the flesh, he gives us life, life in abundance. Thank you, Jesus, that you give us life. Verse 11, it says, And the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. Boom, come on. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. That you is plural. It's referring to us. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Oh man, we could meditate on that for the rest of eternity. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, the same spirit that Jesus did all the supernatural signs, wonders, miracles, healings, that same very spirit lives within you. You know, God is so kind and gracious. He didn't just give us a gift. He didn't just let us experience his presence every now and then. He didn't just 
give us a gift of righteousness. He didn't just give us justification. He didn't just give us certain things. No, he gave us himself. He gave us his spirit to dwell within us. Is there a greater gift that has ever been given? I don't think so. The presence of God living right here. The same power that resurrected Jesus. And here it lives. Man, that's crazy. So we carry on to verse 12. It says, therefore, and as John always says, when there's a therefore, we need to realize what is it there for. Well done. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So we're going to, the context that we've just you know, created as we've read from verse 5 to verse 11, we're now going to go from verse 12 to 17, and there's three things that I want to pull out of these next couple of verses uh, to encourage us for this, the season that we live in. So the first thing is that we have a duty. We have an obligation. We have a responsibility. What is that duty? As it says in verse 12, Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. We have an obligation. He writes and he says, but it is not to the flesh. So our obligation is no more that we're, we're tied to a realm of flesh and sin. We're not tied to this earthly realm and world. We have no obligation to it. We no longer have to follow and walk in the ways of sin. We've been freed from that. And so what is our obligation then? Our obligation is to be led by Him, to be led by the Spirit of God, to be led by His presence that lives within us. You know, when He comes and lives within us, we have an obligation to follow Him, to be led by Him, to pursue Him. See, Paul's not saying that we'll lose our salvation as he carries on and as he, he again starts to talk about um, following the flesh leading to paths of death and destruction or following the Spirit leading to life and peace and righteousness. When, when he's talking about following the path of flesh, he's not saying we're going to lose our salvation. He's already dealt with that earlier on in the book. What he's saying now, as he's, as he's writing to believers, he's saying when we choose to not be led by the Spirit, when we choose to follow an earthly desire, when we choose to walk down that path, that path leads to destruction and to death. doesn't mean that you are going to die. Well, possibly that might be the final thing, but I don't think it's necessarily saying that. It's saying that that part of your life, that path is going to lead you to destruction. When you follow that path of flesh, that old dead desire, when you choose to walk down that path, it leads to destruction. You see, we have choices in which, which, which path are we going to follow. Are we going to follow the presence of God? See, the consequence of sin is still death. What does that look like? I, I think it's the absence of His peace. It's the absence of His presence. 
It's the absence of hope. It's a, it's a realm of hopelessness. But when we follow him, that's when we get all of these gifts, which we're going to get to in a moment. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. I believe that there's a holiness stirring amongst us, amongst the church, that the Lord is calling us up higher. He's calling us into greater realms of his presence, that we might rise above. I remember Uncle Les, when he was with us, is now graduated on to be with, with Jesus. But, but he said to me once, you know, he, he finds more and more that in our modern world, we refer to sin by giving it medical terminology and calling it addiction. Now, I'm not saying all addiction is necessarily sin, but, but, but so often I think we've, we've just taken a term, a reality called sin, and we've given it modern language and called it addiction and said, well, it's out of my control. I wonder how often, how many of those times it's because people have chosen to walk down a path of the flesh instead of paths of his presence and righteousness. See, God is calling us up higher. He's inviting us to come up higher. See, if we live by the Spirit, we put to death the misdeeds of the body. You see, the, the solution to overcoming the, the sin, the addiction, the, the stronghold in your life, I think the Scripture makes it quite simple. It just says, follow Jesus. Follow the Holy Spirit that dwells within you. And yeah, we need counseling and we need uh, structure and we need accountability and we need um, all of these other good things that help. But where does it start? It starts by saying, I'm going to be led by the presence of God. Because if we live by the Spirit, we put to death those things that otherwise lead us astray. So simple when we, we look at the simplicity of, of what the, the, the scripture and what the gospel sometimes is. I'm not saying it's easy, but I think sometimes we overcomplicate it. And the answer is Him. Follow Him. Be led by Him. Let His presence guide you and lead you. You see, when we have the, the presence of God living within us, we get power. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you to be my witness, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. See, there's a promise of the Lord upon us that when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we will be powerful. You see, our world doesn't need artificial intelligence to show what the solution is to the problem. And, and man, AI is going to do some incredible stuff. It's going to be used for a lot of good, and we pray that it won't be used for bad. But we need another realm. We need the power of God to come in and intervene. And where does that power dwell? Right inside of you and right inside of me.
Because when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will have power, power to witness, witness to the truth of who Jesus is. A couple chapters later, Acts chapter 4, verse, 40, verse 33. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all. See, with great power, the apostles continued to testify because the power of God was in them because of the indwelling baptism of the Holy Spirit. We have access to power. It's not our power, but it's the power of the Holy Spirit and He lives inside of you. And He wants to live inside of you, but He also wants to flow through you because He wants to let the world around you see and experience His power. Because the world doesn't need more information. It needs an encounter with Jesus. If I had to ask in this room and people watching from home or wherever you're watching, please raise your hand if you know someone that hasn't heard of Jesus. I'm sure that probably no one would raise their hand. And if you did raise your hand, my response to you is, go home and go and tell that person about Jesus. People in South Africa, they've heard the gospel. They've heard the story about Jesus. They've heard about what, he, what he's done. They've heard about you know, all of the different things, but yet so many don't believe. It's because they haven't experienced the power of God yet. They haven't experienced his reality. We'll come back to that now. Acts chapter 6, verse 8. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. So when we look at the book of Acts, this is the book that tells the story of the, the church that's just been born. Jesus has uh, ascended into heaven, and now the disciples that had this kind of short ministry school with Jesus of discipleship and learning as they're following him, and now Jesus says, there you go. I'm giving you the Holy Spirit. I'm giving you power in, in, in my Holy Spirit, and go, change the world, basically. As we read the book of Acts, we read about 14 instances when we look at what were the facts that attributed to church growth in the early church. Because the early church exploded. I mean, it grew like crazy fast. The day the church is kind of born, Acts chapter 2, when the, the Holy Spirit's poured out, Pentecost, 3,000 people um, saved right there and then, baptized, and then from there on, daily people being saved and added to their number. Uh, some scholars reckon the church was uh, quickly up in the, the, the thousands, reaching kind of 10,000 and more. The church was growing radically and radically fast. As we read in the book of Acts, 14 times uh, the, the, the thing that attributed to the church growing was a combination of the power of God and the proclamation of the gospel. 14 times we read about those two working together. When we read the Gospels, when we read the stories of Jesus, we see them go hand in hand all the time. The sick are healed. The, the lame are set free. The, the cripple are healed and can walk. The blind are healed and, and, and can see. The deaf can hear. We see the manifest power of God operating. We see people that are held captive by demonic are set free. We see the power of God and we see the proclamation of the gospel, the truth of Jesus being preached. When these things are put together 14 times in the book of Acts, it attributes, uh, the book of Acts attributes it to the, the, the growing church. A further six times, the church growth is attributed to miracles alone, the power of God. There's only one instance 
where the church growth in the book of Acts is attributed to only the proclamation, only the spoken word. Now, we need the spoken word. We need to preach the gospel. We need to have sound theology. We need all of these things. But we also need the power of God to be demonstrated in our city, in our world, in our families, and in our businesses. We need the power of God. And where does it dwell? So often I think we're expecting these lightning bolts to come from heaven. (laughs) But the power of God dwells within you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Does Does the Holy Spirit dwell within anyone? Come on. Put up your hand if the Holy Spirit lives within you. And if he doesn't, we're going to have a ministry time later and we're going to pray that the Holy Spirit will come and dwell within you. But if the Holy Spirit dwells within you, you have power. You have power dwelling within you. It's not your power. It's his power. But he's chosen to make his home in us. How profound. We have an obligation. An obligation to be led by the Spirit to be powerful Christians, powerful sons and daughters. Let's pick it up again in Romans chapter 8, verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Oh, man. See, not only does he come and live within us in the form of the Holy Spirit, but he calls us his children. He adopts us into his family. What a king we serve. What a loving father. What a loving father. So we have an obligation, but we also have an assurance. An assurance of his love, an assurance of our identity, that we are sons and daughters, that we are adopted into his family. What an assurance. Is there any greater assurance in the world than the truth that we become sons and daughters, that we become adopted into his family? Profound. We read in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and verse 17. This is the story of Jesus' baptism in water, and as he comes up out of water, his baptism in the Holy Spirit. It says, As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. Let's pause there. The heavens opened in that moment, and they have not closed. You see, we dwell, we live with an open heaven above us. Jesus broke and tore it open, and the heavens have remained open. We have access. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son. I'm joking, I don't know how it sounded. (laughs) This is my Son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. This is before Jesus has done any miracles. He's done any, any ministry. I mean, he, he's obviously been, been walking with Father. And what does Father God do? He does three things. He gives him his identity. This is my son. 
Not only does he give him his identity, but he gives him affirmation, tells him he loves him. Not only does he give him identity and affirmation, but he gives him security. He tells him, I'm well pleased. See, I think so often in, in our kind of uh, our culture that's become so performance orientated that we've become subconsciously taught to perform for affirmation, to perform for love, to perform for security. That we have to do certain things and God will only love me if I do this, this and that. God will only love me if I fast and read my Bible and do this, this and that. God will only be pleased with me when I go on outreach every day for the next 10 years and accumulate 10,000 hours of outreach. Like God, no, that's not what the scripture says. And I think so often subconsciously the, the devil you know, tries to trip us up on this one and tries to overplay his hand. No, Father loves you. Father calls you his son. He calls you his daughter. Not only does he call you his son and daughter, but he tells you that he loves you. Not only does he tell you that he loves you, but he tells you that he's pleased with you. As before you've done a single thing. You see, it's then from that place of knowing our identity, from that place of being affirmed by him, of being secure in Him. It's from that place that we then minister. You see, we minister from a place of being loved, not for love. It's so close, but it's so different. Jesus ministered from a place of knowing His identity as a son, knowing that Father loved Him. He was affirmed by the Father, knowing that Father was pleased. See, without faith, it's impossible to please God. As we just put our faith in Him, we please Him. That's all we have to do. Just put our faith in Him. The world needs you to know that you're a son, to know that you're a daughter, to know that He affirms you and that you're secure in Him so that from that place you can flow in the power of the Holy Spirit that the the people around you will see and experience the power of God and then you can also proclaim it and tell them the truth. I want to encourage us as, as parents that as we parent our children, so, so often I think again the, the, the tendency can be to get into uh, motivational behavior correction where, you know, we only express our love if your child does well or if they do this. We only express our affirmation, our security over them when they do certain behaviors. Let's not, treat, let's, let's not teach them to let our love become conditional upon their behavior. Let's love our children in the same way that we read about Father loving us. That we, we love them, we affirm them. We give them a place of security and from that place they will then make the right decisions and the right choices. Let's not teach our children to subconsciously grow up with a conditional love. It's not easy. I'm a dad, I know. (laughs) But Holy Spirit, help us. All right. We have a duty, but we also have an assurance of His presence with us, His power 
with us, of our identity in him. The third point is we also have a reward. In Jesus, the rewards are out of this world. Verse 17, Romans chapter 8. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. You see, we have an inheritance in Jesus. John did a glancing referral to, to this last week Sunday. We have an inheritance in Jesus. You know, when do you get a, a natural inheritance? It's when someone else dies, right? That's when you get your inheritance. Family member dies, you get an inheritance. What about our spiritual inheritance? Someone's already died. Jesus has already died. We have access to our inheritance in him now. We don't get our inheritance one day in the future when we die. No, we get it now. Because your inheritance comes when someone else dies. And Jesus has already died. And so we have a reward. We have an inheritance in him. What is this inheritance? What is this reward? It's the best reward we could ever fathom. This reward is his presence. His presence dwelling right here with us. Intimately with us. Is there any greater reward or inheritance than the presence of God himself dwelling within you? Man, it boggles my mind. Yet it's the truth. God living in us. A reward and inheritance of his presence. It's not just his presence, but it's a relationship. There's communion with him. There's contentment from him. And I love this. Pleasures forevermore. I love the way that God works when, you know, you've got a scripture that you want to share and then the prophetic artist paints the very scripture that you wanted to share. This is our reward. Psalm 16, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life because the Holy Spirit dwells within us and he guides us and he leads us and he makes known to us the path of life. It's what Holy Spirit does. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Now what does the devil do? The devil says that this path of the flesh leads to gratification and it leads to joy and it leads to fun and it leads to all of these temptations that seem so beautiful. Yet the truth and the reality is that they lead to death and destruction. But the Holy Spirit guides us in the path of life. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. You see, the devil tries to trick us up and lie to us that that is the path to joy when it's not. It's his presence. Because in his presence, there is fullness of joy. It's as we follow him. It's as we, 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 we follow the path that leads to life. As we follow the Holy Spirit, that path leads to pleasure forevermore. Come on. Fullness of joy. Anyone want some fullness of joy? Sign me up. I want that. 
well, I've given you the map. <laughs> it's now up to you. Do you want to follow the map? Path of his presence as Holy Spirit guides you and leads you. And that is the destination. His presence, fullness of joy, pleasure forevermore. Come on. See, we inherit the ability to perform the same signs and wonders that Jesus did. That is our reward. It's our inheritance. It's our responsibility to steward the presence of God, not just for our own life's sake, but for the person next to you's sake. Because you're gifted not for your sake. You're gifted for the person next to you. The gifting of the Holy Spirit is not that you can look cool. Gifting of the Holy Spirit is for the common good. That means you're gifted not for your sake, but you're gifted for the person sitting in the office cubicle next to you. You're gifted for the the pupil standing in front of your classroom. You're gifted for the sake of your employees that report into you. You're gifted for the sake of your neighbor that lives next door to you. You're gifted for the sake of the petrol attendant putting petrol in your car. You're gifted for the sake of the the, the shop teller assisting you in in tolling up your, your groceries. So you're not gifted for your sake. You're gifted for everyone else's sake. It's our inheritance. And as we follow this path, it leads to fullness of joy and pleasure forevermore. God is so good. There is, however, a condition. You know, so many of the scriptures and so many of the truths of scripture are conditionless. It's, it's freely you have received. But in this verse, there, there is a condition. Verse 17. Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed, see, if indeed there's a condition, we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. See, the condition of receiving this inheritance is that we share in his sufferings. I mean, we all want these rewards because they're out of this world. But there is a condition. What does it look like to share in the sufferings of Jesus? Well, that I I don't know. And I think for each one of us, it probably looks different. The path that the Holy Spirit guides and leads each one of us down will look different for each one of us. And down the path that Holy Spirit leads you on, you will find some challenges, you will find some obstacles, you will find some suffering, you will find some tribulation. But the Holy Spirit is in you with power to give you security, to affirm you, to give you your identity, to call you an overcomer because you will overcome all of these things. Along this path, we will find there might be some suffering. What will that look like again? I don't know, but let's look to the scripture and see what we find there. Jesus, in Luke chapter 22, before he goes to the cross, Luke 22, verse 42, says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus is looking at the suffering that he's about to face. And he cries out, Father, take this cup from me. Yet in the same prayer, not my will, but yours. A couple of verses later, we, we read about Jesus sweating blood because of the, the heaviness, 
the suffering that, that he's about to face. I mean, this is, this is hectic. And so we see Jesus facing the suffering and saying, God, can't you take it from me? But he knows this is the path that leads to fullness of joy, to pleasure forevermore. This is the path that the Holy Spirit living in me obliges me to follow because I want to follow him, I want to please him, I want to honor him. And so on the one hand, we see this very sobering, real suffering that Jesus is confronted with. On the other hand, however, we read in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. And so on the one hand, there's this, this, this scary reality of the suffering that he faces. And on the other side of this tension is this truth of the joy set before him. Now, I don't know what your suffering might look like, but I would imagine it probably dwells somewhere in this tension of, man, this is scary. This suffering, like, God, am I going to get through this? Is this suffering going to overwhelm me? Am I going to succumb to this suffering? God, I don't know if I can do this. Can you take this cup from me? Yet at the same time, God, not my will, but your will be done. This overwhelming sense of, can I handle this? Jesus, take it away from me. We will have that experience. Yet on the other side, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. You see, as we follow the path of Holy Spirit's guidance, of his leading, of his presence, taking us out of our comfort zone into places where we perhaps don't want to be, it's in that place that there's a joy set before you. It's in that place as you step beyond where you feel comfortable that we discover pleasure forevermore, that we discover the fullness of his presence. The rewards are out of this world. But on the path to living in these rewards, there will be some challenges. There will be some obstacles. There might even be some suffering. And that's okay. Because the Holy Spirit living within us has given us, is giving us, and will give us absolutely everything we need to overcome that challenge, that suffering, with utter joy and glory to Him. And so don't dwell here in the suffering. Dwell here in the joy that is set before you. Dwell here in the place of affirmed love of your identity, of security in Him. This is the place where we must dwell, in His presence. As we start to close, John chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them and we will come to them and make our home in them. This is a promise of intimacy that had never been experienced on the face of the earth until the Garden of Eden where God walk, walked with Adam and Eve. That level of intimacy was missing from mankind until this promise. 
that he will make his home within us. Wow. Carries on. Verse 26. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Because as we face whatever it is that we're facing, know that Jesus has said, my peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Won't you stand? Michael Eaton, a well-known theologian, also graduated to be with Jesus, puts it like this. He says, It is the Holy Spirit who is the open secret of godliness. He lives right here. Let's pray. Father God, we're in awe of your love for us. Lord, you give us our identity as sons and daughters. Not only that, Lord, but you give us security in, in knowing who we are, knowing that you're pleased with us, you affirm us, you love us. Not only do you do those things, but you, you make your home within us. Holy Spirit fills us and you live within us. What a gift, what an inheritance, what a reward. Lord, we thank you for the pleasures forevermore, for the, the fullness of joy that comes from following the paths of your Spirit, by following Holy Spirit's guidance and leading in our lives. Thank you that you give us the power to overcome paths of destruction and to live in the paths of righteousness, of godliness, of holiness paths of your presence. Holy Spirit, will you guide us? Will you lead us? Help us to put to death things that try to lead us astray, to steal our attention and our focus off of you. Holy Spirit, we say, come and have your way in our lives. Lord, come and empower us. Come and fill us with your power that you promised in the Holy Spirit, that we will be a demonstration of your goodness, your kindness, and your love to the world that we live in, because, God, our city needs you. Our nation needs you. Our schools need you. Our businesses need you. And, Lord, you've chosen, chosen to, to, to make the answer live within us in the form of Holy Spirit. May the answer flow through us to bring about change and transformation. Lord, we just declare our dependence upon you, our love for you, and our utter need for you in everything that we do. Holy Spirit, will you fill us right now? Will you fill us this week, every morning as we wake up, as we turn our affection to you? Thank you that your presence is there, that you fill us, you guide us, and you lead us. Thank you that your baptism, your infilling, is an ongoing, perpetual experience of being continually filled with your presence and your power. Jesus, we need you. We love you. And so, Lord, may your peace be upon us as we go from this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.